behind the whistle. So met lifelong friends. They just genuinely were trying to do the best for me. Anytime you're receiving feedback from your coaches and that, it's only to try and help you get better. Welcome to episode number two of Behind the Whistle, the weekly podcast series where we talk to sports officials about their personal officiating journey. We'll provide insights into why these officials do what they do, and it'll be a great way of understanding how they balance their passion for officiating with their personal and professional lives, ensuring that they stay involved in the sports that they're passionate about. Our guest for this episode is AFL umpire Ray Chamberlain. Ray's an icon within the AFL officiating world, having officiated over 350 games as well as three AFL grand finals. Ray has established and runs the Chamberlain Foundation, which supports Australians struggling with mental health. He also runs his own mortgage broker firm. As Ray's season has just concluded, I started off by asking Ray what his off-season consists of. It's interesting because, you know, in this time, what do you do? You active rest at my age, you can't stop. Yeah. Um, and then you know I've got a I've got an issue with my back, I've got a bulging disc, it's impinging on nerves. So I was in for an epidural, and now you're trying to see what can you do, not what can't you do in terms of training, just to get yourself ready for November 15, which is when we start preseason. So so I've got a week and a half to try and be like, yeah, no, I'm okay. We're managing this all right. I've been going okay, and I went and got some treatment yesterday, so I know it's just as a response to that. So I'm not going to freak out, but. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. I am fucking sore today. My back is not good. I, I haven't been great, so I'm a little bit like, oh no. But anyway, that's um, part and parcel of a uh, sporting career that we have. So and yeah, and being a million years old, right? So <laughs> that's just that's just how it rolls. So speaking of a million years old, I mean, you you would have been officiating for a million years then, I guess. So you know, how did you get into it originally? So I I got into I got into AFL footy by accident, let alone umpiring. I was meant to play rugby league. My dad was meant to register us for footy. And back in the day, you know, three kids under the age of five um, living in, I think Victorians would call it commission housing. We we call it in Canberra, which is where I grew up. It was known as government housing. Um, And we had a big backyard and, you know, had a big pool in it in the end, a big double garage and all that sort of stuff. And we had dogs and all that sort of gear. Um, but dad, you know, mum and dad both worked, um, and like flat out at one point I know dad had three different jobs at one given time and he just, you know, around the clock and mum always worked. Um, anywho, mum got cranky cause dad hadn't take, taken me, I was, I'm the oldest to register. I was five. So she takes me to this sporting ground. It says football registration today. So she signs me up and I train with my new best mates for six weeks, right? Dad comes to my first game and there's four goal posts at that end and there's four goal posts at that end. It's on an oval. He's like, what on earth have you signed the boy up to? <laughs> but I wasn't changing now. I've got all my mates, you know what I mean? I'm in. And uh, anyway, <laughs> now they're mad Aussie rules, right? Like. They, they, they follow the Swans. That's the Swans yep. and Mum and Dad's team. They're, they're into that. Dad can't watch. He's got to watch on a replay. He can't watch it live. <laughs> so hopeless. Uh, and Mum mum knows it inside out. They've coached and, you know, Mum was the vice president of the league at one stage and all sorts of gear. Um, and then in terms of umpiring, no one turned up to watch my brother play 
uh, umpire, and I turned up to watch him play. No one turned up to umpire it. So the president of the club said, we'll fill your car up with petrol. Uh, and we won't let anyone hang any crap on you if you umpire the game. I was meant to play in the under-18s that day. So I said, yeah, cool, no worries. So I went and saw mum. I said, you still got giving me 20 bucks for petrol? <laughs> and uh, and so I went from there. And I got to about half time, and this skinny old dude came over to say good day. And his name is Bob Stacey. And Bob's a legend. And he introduced himself, and he was watching a gentleman on another on an adjoining field. Oh, you know, I'm Bob. I'm the director of the umpires, rah, rah, rah. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, I said about 45 minutes, Bob. And he goes, no, 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 not today. Like, I go, no, nah, mate, like total, 45 minutes, right? That's what he goes. He says, well, you can earn six figures a year part-time uh, doing this. Now, I was 17 and I was working part-time at Eagle Boys Pizza, so we got paid in bonus payments, right? How many garlic breads you could knock off. That, that, was, that was how we were being remunerated. So six figures a year part-time in sport had my attention. And um, it sort of went from there, to be honest. Yeah, especially at 18, it would have been a, a, like no more worker, no more part-time jobs. Let's just get into this. So. Oh, mate, exactly right. It was like, this is this is unreal. So I, obviously you don't start out on six figures, but he he sort of felt like, mate, you can't play AFL footy. And that, look, that took, that's a journey in itself from skipping around at Waniasa Oval okay. across from the high school to to get a game at um, – the MCG, it's quite. There's a, there's a bit of water to go under the bridge, right? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, Bob, it turned out was a fair judge, and um, and I love, you know, I just loved footy. I played two hundred odd games from a club, played a bit of rep footy, played in some premiership teams. I wasn't any good, but I loved it. And um, and and I and the umpiring thing sort of fitted my skill set. You know, I knew, I understood where the ball was going. I knew what. I understood the game and I could run, you know, like physically I could run. Like that was a strength of mine before I got busted and old. And uh, and so it just sort of aligned. And, you know, back then in particular, uh, I was a bit of a unicorn to be fair, you know, because I was 17 fit and young, whereas, you know, most people were umpiring were like retired old no. dudes, <laughs> fit over the guts, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're doing it begrudgingly. Um, so as a result, I got some opportunities, probably quicker than I should have, to be fair. Yep. But um, I also got an unbelievable amount of positive feedback and support from people, like randoms, you know. And I know at that stage, because it's junior sport, you're not playing for the farm, so yep. people can be kinder. But I think it's really important, like, so by the time I got to footy at a level where everyone's going a little bit berserk and they're barracking and and they you know they they just let loose, I'd had enough um, positive affirmation, which I truly believe to be real, for me to build up a level of resilience to understand. You know, yeah, they're directing it at me, but this really isn't about me, right? <laughs> I, 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 this is not about me. Um, so I think that's really important for people to I think understand. Just how valuable that is for, for for young people starting out in what is essentially, even though you get paid well, right? It's essentially you're volunteering, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I guess by what what age, I guess, did you start to get your opportunities at your rep levels and your and how did you get into the AFL 
community, I guess, call it. Yeah, so the system's changed a little bit now. You get identified, you get put in talent pathway, whatever. But just like playing, you go up through the ages, you know, 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, and then you might play some seniors, um, and then there'll be some rep-level stuff, and then, you know, that might be just state competition. And then from there, they pick a state team, and they go and play at the nationals. And, well, it's the same for umpires, right? So for me, I was doing a little bit of uh, local stuff, and then – I got a phone call. So these New South Wales under-15s, I reckon, or 16s. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember now. Um, and it was the state championships. So Wagga were playing against, you know, um, ACT versus, you know, Riverina versus whatever, right? And so they needed they needed umpires. And uh, I got called. And it was during the school holidays, you know, uni holidays. I got called and it was like, would you like to do it? And I sort of, I didn't realise, I didn't understand it was part of the talent thing. <laughs> I was going, oh, we, we're short a few ups. Can you know? Can you come and do a game? You know. So I did it. I did. The, I got picked to do the grand final, and I met a gentleman by the name of Keith Ogston, who's one of the kindest, most wonderful men I've ever had. He's like my second dad, Keith. He's a legend, and um, he looked after me so much. And so I met him, and we had fun. And I met these other umpires. They were young like me, and. Uh, they're good dudes. One, one guy we did the grand final with James Watson. He lives in Victoria now, and uh, you know we still chatting that. So met lifelong friends, right? And we did the grand final. And that was super fun. And I went, oh, okay. So like, there's like a pathway in this. Oh, I've got it. Right, no worries. And um, anywho, James went and did what was called the Teal Cup, and then I get a call from Keith, and he goes, oh, I would like to send you to Darwin. Uh, it all gets paid for, mate. Don't worry about that. And you go to Darwin, and you're going to do the under, uh, under 15, 16 schoolboy championships. What? How's this role? He goes, mate, all the states are represented, and, you know, these kids are going to be in the draft, etc., etc., etc. I go, how long are we there for? He goes, oh, nearly two weeks. I go, mate, I'm in for sure. Right? <laughs> so hooked it up to Darwin, and it, and it was hot, and I could run. So all of a sudden, even though I wasn't particularly experienced, I had a competitive advantage within yep. the climate. And I got picked to go away with the Australians. I did the grand final, and uh, it was it was Vic Metro versus WA. Well, that would have been pretty intense too, considering the rivalries between the states. Well, right, and WA were unbelievably strong. So they had a guy, so Des Headland, who was the number one draft pick, he played in that side. And, yeah, so they were, they were uh, going to Brett Johnson. They were a really good side. Adam Hunter, Andrew Wembley. Like they had, you know, these are all premiership players, right? They had some really, really talented players. And um, so I did that. I did the grand final there. I got picked for the grand final there as well, which, again, you know, like I'm – I had a bit of luck, right? You needed to be able to run, and I could because it was just, you know, that climate. Yeah. And uh, so by doing that grand final, I then got offered a trip to Ireland. So they picked an Australian side that toured Ireland, and it was the first one in, like, a decade or something silly, 15 years or something stupid since they'd done this, and I just happened to be Johnny on the spot. So I get this gig to go to Ireland for, like, three weeks, this is unreal, right? You're not going to knock that back, are you? <laughs> it was just the best. So next thing you know, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in Ireland. I would have been 20, I reckon. I don't think I was 21 yet. I was 20, about 20, 21. So I've been doing it for, I've been up by for about two years. So are you at uni at this stage or are you working? Yeah. 
Yeah, so by this stage now, I'm at, I'm at uni doing a, um, a, a Bachelor of Education, and which I loved, and this trip was just the best. And so I met people who are like legends in the AFL, like legitimate legends. Like I'm talking Barry Richardson, whose son is now my boss's boss's boss, <laughs> uh, Stan Richardson, right? Um, and, you know, and, and Barry's an AFL life member. He's just iconic. Kevin Shifter Sheehan, one of the nicest men that you will ever meet in your life. Can tell a story. Shifter, he's just <laughs> the best. So, yeah, a ripping human. I remember we went to Ireland and my bag come off, not just my, my bag come off, on out on the, out on the runway and a bit loose over there. And uh, my all my clothes got just got destroyed, right? So he's just giving me a card. He goes, mate, don't worry, just get just get the receipts. Like, get whatever you want. Just bring me the, bring me the receipts. Here's a 21-year-old with a credit card. Go and get whatever you want. I'm just rocking around in Dublin looking for the coolest jeans I can find. You know? like, yeah, so it was um, it was really cool. And so I got to meet, you know, all the all the recruitment guys were there. And, um, you know, so I got to meet those guys, guys like James Fantasia and Darren Beasley is just a ripping human who was from WA and um, yeah, some real legends. So um, John Beveridge, which is um, Luke Beveridge's old man, yep. right? So he was a recruitment guy, St Kilda man. Um, he was a really good fellow, looked after me. He was like, okay, you need, <laughs> you need some guidance, come with me. <laughs> and he was so kind. Um, so yeah, I just remember those people and just going, and at the time I knew, like I knew they were, they had important jobs, but I didn't quite understand. I, I, I wasn't yet exposed to what they had done and whatever. But as you move through and you learn and you listen, you know, oh, my God, how lucky was I to be looked after by that gentleman or, or what have you. So, um, yeah, I look really, I look back really fondly at all of that stuff. And so, obviously, you st- at this point, you haven't even got into the AFL ranks or anything. This is all pre No, that's right. Like, I'm sort of – Bustling away. I played cricket. That's what I was. I kind of thought I was good at, and um, and I really love that. I, I, I love playing cricket. I was a wicket keeper, bit of a spud batsman, but I, I, I that's what I did. And then, um, and I played rep cricket and all that sort of stuff. And then, um, and then I was doing this umpiring gear. And and by this stage, I'd stopped playing. So I played under 18s, but I didn't go up and play 19s and reserves. I went, no, nah, actually, I'm going to give this umpiring thing a bit of a go. Yep. Um, I think I think I can do I, – I, I like it. I really love it. I think I might be able to make something of it, whereas, you know, 50 bucks a win for the Tuggeron Cowboys Reserve. <laughs> not going to do you much. Was not floating my boat. So, um, yeah, so that was that was how that all, all took off. But from there, I moved to Sydney. I spent 12 months there, and it was a good move. That's where the Ogstons looked after me in Sydney. Yep. I, it was like a little wedge out of home. But not too far away, and then Peter Schwab come up one night and he 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 gave me a bit of a he gave it to me between the eyes. I thought he was going to be real positive and all that. And Schwab's been such a nice man to me forever. He's always been so wonderful. Um, but this night he basically told me to shut, <laughs> I had to shut my mouth while I was there. He goes, "Mate, stop stop being a pain in the ass to these guys. And if you're fair income, pack your gear up and get to Melbourne, right? <laughs> right? And he was being really honest because. Uh, I needed to. I needed to. I needed to grow up a bit, and I needed to. I needed to go through what was the hardest avenue, yep. and at the time, the VFL was. So, to give you context, history of the game has been like sixty, just under sixty guys umpire an AFL grand final in the field. History of the game, yep. and 
that first year I was in the VFL, I think we've had eight. So the eight guys in that on that list, that group of guys who are sort of my age, who have come through umpired three hundred plus games and umpired an AFL grand final. So when you look at that from historical context, it was a very talented group of guys, and so it was incredibly competitive just to get a game. So it made you get better. It made you compete, right? And um, and those guys, I owe so much to those guys, their friendship, um, but also their professional competitiveness um, and the standards that they set. And I'm talking about guys like Sean Ryan and Scott Jeffrey and um, Jason Quigley, Simon Meredith, Chris Donlan, Matt Nichols. These guys, you know, all – and there, there are others. I'm Stephen Grant. I'm missing them all. But, you know, these guys, they all umpired AFL footy, and then there was sort of eight of us who have actually umpired an AFL grand final. So, um yeah, you, you, you know, I, I'm indebted to all of those lads and the, and direct and indirect impact they've had on my experience, yeah. And it certainly sounds like, you know, you've had plenty of mentors through your career to help you, you know, obviously go in the path that you needed to go to and give you the kick when you needed to and the, and well, the corrections. Quite, you know, I, I giggle sometimes. We've got some young people on our list. I've got one guy who's on our list, and I'm not sure if he's voted in a federal election yet, actually. <laughs> right, and which, which is like, you go, wow, like it's mind-boggling, right? And I'm big on this too, particularly men, and I can't speak for women because I, I've not lived that life. But, yep. um, you know, it's, it's so hard figuring out who you are and what you're about. You haven't made your mistakes yet. Exactly. You know, you're, you're right at the cusp of making them all. You, you know, you're a poor version of yourself through no fault of your own. And, um. And so without having people to understand that and not judge you harshly but rather support you and have empathy and understanding and, and patience, um, yeah, without that, you you know, you, you kind of battle. And I had some people that were a bit tough on me in that, but they didn't do it because they disrespected me or didn't like me or, you know, any of this crap. They just genuinely were trying to do the best for me um, which I can, I certainly can see, you know, and I'm, and again, I'm grateful for. So, no, no, none of us, no matter what your role is, whether you, you know, a premiership player, Brownlow medalist, fucking umpire, coach, you know, whatever it is you do, you don't do it, you don't achieve any of this stuff on your own, and you wouldn't want to either. You know, because yeah, it'd be a bit lonely doing it by your by yourself and like empty. I mean, you do it for the experience with the other officials. You get to the, um, you know, the AFL Grand Final. You're not the only one. You've got your crew of other officials who are going through similar emotions that you're going through, nervousness for the game, excitement for the game, and all of that sort of. Absolutely. Stuff. Like I, every time, every time we gets to Grand Final week, and you know they've got the you know the ten greatest Grand Finals, whatever. Right. The draw gets a Guernsey, right? <laughs> And so, you know, I immediately text Sean Ryan and Brett Rosebury and go, you know, how does it feel to be the second and third best-looking field umpires in this game? That's <laughs> 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 right. And, but that's just because I was fortunate enough in that game to, to yeah, you, we, we shared that experience together. So, yeah, that's something that you do have forever. And, um, and you know, and again, you know, I, I've said this a couple of times, but there are two guys that just, went out of their way to make sure I was okay because they had both, you know, um, Sean had umpired the grand final in 2008 and nine, and then Brett had umpired 
he was on the bench in 2008, I think. He debuted in 2009 and was doing it again in 2010. And it was my debut in a grand final. So you know, they they went out of their way to make sure I was okay, you know. And oh, again, just so grateful for this. How did you find the week leading up to the grand final? You know, was uh, was you excited? Was the media, you know, I mean, I know these days they do a lot more stories on the officials in the finals and those sort of things and when they get released. How was it back when you did that back nah, then? it's mad. You know, it's mad. I remember we're walking. See, you know, you don't sleep. You do the game Friday night. You, you know, you know if they want to pick you, they can or not, you know, because you know your performance, you go either you've stunk it, you've nailed it, or it's somewhere in between. As long as you haven't stunk it up, you go, if they want to pick me, they can, right? Yep. You, you, and so then it's like, right, well, I've done all I can. Well, that's easy to say. Now when you're 45, <laughs> back then, you're like, man, are they going to pick me? Am I ever going to get picked, you know? And then so you you don't sleep. You sleep and if you, it's poorly. And then Monday you get the phone call one way or the other. And so then you meant to keep it under wraps, right? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> right, correct, as if. So then the phone just lights up. And uh, and so, you know, I'm an advocate that people only connect and reach out if they, you know, because they care. Yeah. So I'm massive on responding. I'll shut it down, you know, a day or two out and pick it back up after again because you need to have some time where you chill out. But that, you know, that first sort of two or three days is massive. You've got press conferences and things. I remember going into Docklands and parked my car and I was walking across and this lady crossed the street and then she'd come up at me and I thought, Jesus, what's going on? I don't know. I had no idea who this person was. And she's just like, congratulations. You know, my, my family is so proud of you. I've never <laughs> person in my life, right? And it's, But that's just Melbourne. Like they just live and breathe it and everyone um, is just invested. Yep. And it's not all it's not all <laughs> rose petals. You'll get the other side as well. I was going to say, I'd imagine you'd have some reactions the other way. Yeah, and look, you know, and that's all. And there's a bit of that, but it's not as bad as you might think. Yeah. Um, certainly in public or to your face, people as a general rule are inherently good, okay? And, yeah, they get emotive and support their team and get the shits up if you pay a free kick or, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think... You know, it, to be fair, the squeaky wheel gets a bit more attention than potentially it actually deserves. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's my experience anyway. So, yeah, it's a massive week. And then, of course, you get to Friday and you're absolutely knackered. And then you got the parade and you get home. And I just was like, boom, bitch, <laughs> out. And, uh, yeah, um, we have this really cool function, actually, grand finals with the umps on a Thursday night. And we'll have a dinner, and it's just wives' partners. Yep. I'm part of and they'll bring someone like Lee Matthews came and spoke one year as an example, right? Oh, that'd be that'd be a, that'd be a buzz, and and it's just like you got somebody, you know, he's going, wow, like, how cool is this? Yeah. And you know, they and he'll share a story about potentially, you know, sometimes in Brisbane or in Collingwood and playing for Hawthorne, and just stories that you've never heard. You're just like, wow, right? This is so cool. So there, there's those little things that happen. But the things I probably remember the most after those sorts of things are like then celebrating with your colleagues. Yeah. You know, like the funny stories and the, you know, running a mark and end of season trips. And they're, they're the things that I could give you 500 stories of those. You know, I, can, <laughs> I can remember out of, you know, 360 games, 350 games, whatever it is, I can remember vividly, you know, you go, I'll name your best five and I go bang, bang, bang like that. But, 
if you go name your best 500 stories, I could give you those too. You know? <laughs> there, there are, and that's why you do it, you know. It's it's those things that I think um, keep you going in pre-seasons and, you know, when things aren't going great or whatever. It's you, those shared things with your colleagues that are the best. And, no, and knowing that you've all gone through the pre-seasons, you've all gone through the seasons, the highs and the lows and, you know, the challenges of getting to where you've got to, to then enjoy it with those people is, you know, the ultimate of being an official. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's hard because only three people in in the field, umpires, only three people really win. Yeah. Right? <laughs> There's winning and losing in officiating, and I don't think there, I don't think there is, right? History, in my experience, is there isn't. Um, but there are only really three that could even ever, at any given year, lend claim to it, and everyone else is just first or second place loser, right? So, um, and when you consider that only you know less than sixty have done it in the history of the game, I think the number's like fifty three or something. I'm not exactly yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, if you're fun, if you're predicating your success, your win or loss on being selected to the grand final or not. That shit's on. That's on real shaky ground, because right? <laughs> statistically, you, you, it's stacked against you. So you need to understand what it is you're doing and find joy more holistically and more broadly. And I think I've learned over the years um, uh, uh, that's become clear to me. Yeah. So, um, what do you do as a? I guess outside of football as a job or you know um yeah i've got a few interests i have a i have a mortgage broking business that's um six, 16 years old oh, okay cool so we've got an awesome team they're unbelievably good at what they do they're self-sufficient i get out of their way when i don't they get frustrated <laughs> <laughs> so i really respect them and what they do um so that's that's good fun got a great tribe our clients are unreal Love them, like they, they're really good people. They tend to stick fat for, you know, they tend to be clients, you know, you're in and you grow up with their kids and all these sorts of things. It's, it's great. Uh, so that keeps That's, a, that's another, another family side of your role. You've got your officiating family, you have your, you know, yeah, your family. So. Spot on. Um, so that, that I'm really enjoying. Um, we've got some big things happening over the next three to four months, actually, in that space that has been sort of three years in the making. So, Really exciting and and, go, and good fun, right? Yeah. Um, and then my brothers and I have a foundation, a charitable organisation. We we raise we raise some events and uh, raise some money, and we uh, in the space of suicide prevention and grief and loss support. Yep. Um, so that is one of our. That's one of the things that I love the most in my life. And you know, footy's allowed has given us a platform to sort of drive that a bit. Yep. So. You know, where sometimes you get a bit grumpy or a bit shitty on, you know, or people going, oh, raises a spaz or, you know, having a crack at, you know, hopeless at this or he cocked that up or whatever that little squeaky wheel might be. The bigger picture over here is, well, that same whatever it is um, has afforded my brothers and I and some other people who help us um, a platform and opportunity to do some really cool things. And oh, I love that. Oh, I just think it's the best. So that that's really cool. And then I've got my family, you know, and, you know, they're unreal. They tolerate me. I don't know how. <laughs> COVID was a welcome relief for them. It got me out of the house that's... for like eight months out of the last 18 months. I think I've been away and they um, 
and they come and visit it a few times and all that sort of stuff. But um, they're, they're brilliant. The girls are so incredibly supportive and, um, yeah, and tolerate all the crap that comes with it, which there's a fair torrent of. <laughs> um, and they're very patient. They're, ve- <laughs> they're very, very patient. So uh, I'm lucky in that sense, yeah. So how do you balance all of that with your officiating and everything else, I guess? Poor, poorly. <laughs> yeah. No, I, look. So, I know I've got a I've got a feeling about the the, the very limited lanes yep. that I feel and do well. Yep. I think I I'm aware of what my strengths are. I also know that I'm not so great in different areas. So what I do, what I'm really happy to do is go hard in the areas that I'm good at and go get out of my way. I own this. Right. Yep. This is my time. But then in the rest of that pie, go, wow, okay, you're really bad at that. You're inaccurate at that. You're slow with that. You're ineffective with that. And then you need to get people in your world who are who that's their go. Yep. And then trust them to do it, right? Don't just bring them in and then try and do it for them or tell them how to do it. Like that's that's a nonsense. Yeah. So resource them and listen to them actively with the intention to hear not so much to respond <laughs> and and then let them be the best version of themselves. And then it's amazing. You get more opportunity to go and do the things that you think you're shit hot at. So that's that tends to be what I do. I don't I don't try to own everything. I don't try to do everything because there's just stuff either I don't like it or I'm shit at it. So, um, you know, I, I, I tend to get others who are better at it to do it. Yeah. Which to an extent sounds like the same way as you grow your officiating career. You help out your – um, the other officials in the area help them grow up and get better, and then you know who knows what other opportunities present themselves later on. We've got a coach who's no longer with us. He's in there for a brief period of time, and um, good dude. I like him actually, and more than that, I re- I got respect for him actually. He's he's a very good t- he's a good teacher. Uh, you know a heap about umpiring, um, but you don't have to have everyone in there from an umpiring background. Yep. But he knows footy, loves it. And he's got this great saying, and I actually I really like it. The more I unpack it and think about where umpiring's at in its life, um, the more I realise actually this is a really this is really important. And I don't think we've really understood it or delivered yeah. on the AFL yet. And he just say to me, "Bring your weapons." Right? Yeah. So things, there are things that I'm not great at. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well. Mate, you've been doing this for 20 years nearly in the senior level. You, you try, you train, you practice. You're limited in that space. That's fine. Over here, though, you're the best. Bring that. We need that from you today. These two, they're good at this and this. We need you to do that. You just deliver on that because that we need it. So don't worry about the things. Don't lament the things that, you know, you might not be great. They'll cover that. We need you to bring that. And... Uh, and absolutely, you know, the, when I started umpiring, literally three dudes walked on the ground. This is from a field umpiring perspective. And I'd see my teammate miss a free kick and I'd go, oh, that's one to him. No one in the crowd, no player gives a shit who's ranked where in the umpires. Yeah. They go, can you guys just work together and get it right? <laughs> right? So then it, we shifted. And so then if you were good enough, you could do it on your own. Yeah. yeah. 2010 to 14, 15. And then the nature of the footy got contested, full court press, back and forth, you know, rah. 
it got to a point where it didn't matter how good you are, right, from about 2017, but particularly 2018 on, doesn't matter how good you are, if you, you can't do it on your own. Yeah. So you are so reliant on your colleagues, as they are with you. Yeah. 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 So how did you, um, I mean, you talked about COVID there initially. How did you work through that? Did you travel with the teams? Did you stay in a state while they flew in and flew out? How did that work for you? That would have been a challenge. Yeah, well, that challenge is one word. <laughs> so, we look, um, we've got a really cool crew uh, who are passionate about the game and wanted to play their part. And, we're, you know, the AFL have been wonderful in terms of how they've treated us as a result of the way our group got about helping them get through. Yep. And I think that, you know, I don't think people, people are happy to throw stones, right? We live in a society that's pretty happy to, oh, you could have done this better. You know, the fact that we've navigated two seasons is just extraordinary and the AFL being unbelievable. So 2020, um, just from in terms of coping, uh, I found it to be much easier. Eventually we were all settled. You had your room, you unpacked all your gear suitcase got put away and you didn't move from there for the best part of 100 days right would have been nice and nice and to an extent relatively comfortable knowing that so, you're in the same spot yeah so you'd be on a plane and you'd be like 23 hour round trip to south australia back up to the sunshine coast onto a van driven back to broad beach like it was a ball lake don't get me wrong <laughs> you had your base right this year was far more challenging yeah we didn't have that and so you know i remember Ray, Monday morning, we need you to go to Perth. Not a problem. When? Wednesday morning. Oh, okay. I've got nothing planned for the week. Thanks for the notice. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you're telling me this match was a surprise. Um, and uh, and then you're at the you're at the uh, coming home. You're only there for two nights, and you can't leave the hotel. So you've got one change of kit, and you're about to come home. And the phone rings, and they go, "Hey, uh, tear your ticket up. We need you to go to Gate 34. I need you to go to the Gold Coast. You're going to be there for three weeks." You go, mate. I don't even charge it from a uh, from a toothbrush. Yeah, send your wife a list. Um, put together a suitcase. We'll courier it to you, <laughs> bro. <laughs> I've got a business, mate. Like I don't have my laptop. I don't have. I brought nothing. What are you talking about? Um. So, yeah, it was like that. And um, and you know, you got you know, all of a sudden you wake up one morning and there's a snap that there's they're socialising in the media at eight forty a.m. that there's going to be a snap lockdown at four p.m. And so you're getting everybody in the Gold Coast, all the umpires get you get in your cars, get to Brisbane Airport. We've got to be ready to get the hell out of here. Meanwhile, the AFL are doing whatever the AFL are doing with governments and, <laughs> you know, chartering planes and carrying on. So, you know, um, it's been an incredible experience. Obviously, we're all hoping, you know, we're all been affected. We're all hoping that we get to sort of roll forward and get back a little bit more to what it was like um, in terms of less restrictions, et cetera. But if you wrote a book, they'd probably be two of the more colourful chapters, you know? <laughs> And I, you know, it's certainly taught you how to adapt on the fly, and, and you know, as you do in the game, you adjust to situations in the game, and you've got to do it in real life with the requirements of being an official. So, oh, absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, so, you yeah, know, I guess one thing I, would, I do like to get an idea of is what advice would you give to people that are thinking of getting into officiating, um, or that have just started out and you know, pushing through. 
So my, my advice would be do it, right? Yeah. Like seriously, do it. it is great. You meet great people. You get to be involved in sport, which is a wonderful thing. I, th- I, I love all types of sport. Um, but it's big. It's it's more than that, right? Like you, you're actively involved within this community. And I'll, I'll say this. There's noise and there's garbage and headlines and crap at the elite level. Totally understood. I can't tell you how wonderful people are within the game in terms of how they treat us. But seriously, and particularly from when I started to now, unbelievable uh, about this understanding that, hey, we're all actually, we're all in this together, actually. (laughs) Turns out we're all in it together, right? If we weren't together, who knows? Maybe we can have more fun. So um, I've found that to be great. So, you know, and it's meant to be fun. You know, yep. like, you know, that's, that's important. So many skills, communication, decision-making, leadership, just self-belief, um, learning that, you know, you, all these different sort of skills about how you've got to treat this person versus that person. Got to be even, got to be fair, but you know, they're all different personalities. They respond differently. So, you know, that, that demands that you have to then your emotional intelligence, your communication styles, you know, just those sorts of abilities. You know, guy Sean Ryan, who's a barrister and, you know, the from any warnable boy and uh, incredible career um, and just a really good dude. One of the things he'd always say is, hey, listen, they're all the lunatics in the asylum. <laughs> We've got to be the calm ones. We're the calm ones here. And and he'd all, he he loved that one. And it's so true. You've got to learn how to be able to do that, yeah? And that, I, I then go to, you know, conflict within a bank, client, agent. You know, I'm now I'm responsible right. for trying to broker the calm and get the right outcome for everyone. Well, you know, my last 20 years has been unbelievable in making me go, mate, on the phone with each other or chatting over a coffee. I don't have a hundred thousand people want to rip my head off like this. This is easy. This is easy. <laughs> this is easy, right? So it's it's all of those things. Um, and uh, yeah. So and then the the last thing I'd say is it can be a little bit of a negative environment if you let it. You know, even at the elite level, I'll say to a guy, you know, we might be in on the Goldie, and I haven't seen him for a while, and we'll go and have a training session. I go, so how'd you go? You know, how'd you go two days ago? How'd you go? And they immediately tell you about how many bounces they missed or or had to call back, and their two, three, four, or five errors, whatever it was for the game, right? They everyone they'll they'll tell you that first. Everything they cocked up, mate. What about the other ninety seven percent of the game? Like, is there anything you did well? So, I, if you allow it, it can be geared a bit that way. Um, but anytime you're receiving feedback from your coaches and that it's only to try and help you get better and you just need to be able to understand that um but yeah it's a game it's meant to be fun so enjoy it that's what i would say awesome yeah that's some great tips right and you know i definitely appreciate your you taking the time to have a chat to me today and you know i'd love to maybe even have a chat maybe in um, future episodes and just go over some of your more stories and we might have to change the rating of the podcast to be an <laughs> r play r plus but you know <laughs> I'll, I'll filter it. I can filter it. I'd, I'd love that opportunity. So you've, you've got the deets. Reach out any time. And um, I really I love what you're doing with it. It's cool. It's cool for officiating. It's a, it's an important part of sport in general. Um, yeah, I think we've all got the passion to grow it. So If it doesn't thrive, mate, the, the game, the standard of the game, whatever level it's at, whatever sport it's at, it proceeds back down to what the level of the officiating is. 
And that's why the whole code needs to understand. It's not about the umps. They're fine. It's about the game. That's why it's important. That's why we need to foster it. That's why we need to support it, educate, recruit, retain, because it's about the game and it impacts on the game. So, yeah, I, I, I love what you're doing, mate, so keep it up. Cool. All right. Thanks for your time, Ray. Good on you. Enjoy the weekend, yeah? You, t- you too. See ya. Mate, see ya. How awesome is it to see someone who is umpiring at such a high level to have so much energy in what they do? It's really encouraging to see someone that's at the top of their game having all that energy and enthusiasm for not only officiating, but also their other interests, particularly his Mental Health Foundation. Ray's talked about how much he has benefited from having a support network around him. He trusts people around him to do their part so that he can concentrate on the areas that he's good at. That's exactly what we're aiming to do here at Sports Collaboration. Our aim is to build resources that can provide support and guidance to people undertaking their officiating journey. The only way that we can do that is by feedback from each and every one of you. If there's something that you'd like some assistance or guidance with, feel free to drop us an email by the feedback section on our website, sportscollaboration.com. If you're interested in starting your own umpire journey, check out the directory on our website to locate an association near you. Having a great support network and mentor to help you through your journey goes a long way to helping you achieve your goals. So I'll leave you with this final appreciation from Ray. I'm indebted to all of those lads and and direct and indirect impact they've had on my experience. (laughs) 